the SmackDown in Sacktown. One for the books as the Celtics blow the friggin' doors off the Kings and reignite our love for the game of basketball. The Jays were scintillating, everyone was great in their role, and perhaps the Jalen quotes that emerged yesterday aren't as panic-worthy as initially proposed. All of that and much, much more next on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. Welcome in to another episode of First of the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Wow. I mean, Jake, I think we all needed that, buddy. We all needed that one. What's up? How you doing, man? I'm good, mate. Ah, we're we're back. Man, I've been pretty good at remaining measured throughout this season, but you have been. I, I have am not. <laughs> not. I like today. I was, you know, you know, you're thinking about the game all day, like the butterflies pre-game. Uh, yeah, right. The I'm riding the emotional roller coaster like I wasn't earlier in the year. This this kind of turmoil between the Jalen stuff and these terrible losses. We needed this one. It feels good. I have a whiskey. I'm feeling I'm feeling great, Ben. Yes, Jake has a whiskey. I have a seltzer. One drink is much cooler than the other, but we're both we're both <laughs> celebrating. We're both toasting. Uh yeah, certainly when I sat down for this one, for the, the most part since the playoffs last year, this was the the most concentrated feeling of like we need to win this game. I can't remember how acutely aware I was of that feeling uh up until you know, the playoffs last year. Was this the best performance since the, the All-Star break, Jake? The Cleveland game that they won was very impressive as well. They they dominated that one with the fake Donovan Mitchell comeback. I think mm-hmm. it's probably a tie between between those two. As good as the Philly game was, there was the, the Jason Tatum had a stinker for the most part outside of the game winner. But this was from top to bottom a complete team win. Everybody contributed. We saw everything that we've been asking for, that we want to see, that we know is in there. Tick, tick, tick. Defense, ball movement, the right type of threes. All of the above. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. let's, let's get into main takeaways, Jake. Like, everything was back. The, the defense was back. The D was engaged and flying around. None of that. None of that floppy D. This was an engaged D that was uh, standing to attention. You know, sticking to like specific to the actions that the Kings run. Sticking to those cutters that run and operate so well off Sabonis. Very Jokic-like uh, in that sense. But um, Sabonis is uh, a little more cunning, it seems, in his attack of the rim. If those cutters aren't working well for him, so of all games to have Rob Williams back to sort of drop off. You know, he, he can sag off of Sabonis because he's not a particularly good outside shooter. And we were so successful in the minutes where Rob was on the floor. I've got a clip of what I think is the perfect defensive possession for the Celtics here. As we see the Kings, if you're listening, you really need to watch this on YouTube. We see the Kings bring the ball up and immediately the switching. Grant digs and immediately gets back out to the corner there. Grant perfectly navigates the Sabonis screen. Rob challenges the drive. Grant, again, right up on Sabonis. There's good screen navigation there. And the Kings advantageously get Derek White on Sabonis. Rob, the timing of the help is perfect. And Grant comes over, closes off the passing lane, and it's Malcolm Brogdon in you know slow transition for the Celtics. But an excellent defensive possession. And that's just one example of the absolutely stellar Absolutely perfect defense. Like they're back. Well, I talked about <laughs> talked about that movie Hook, where they're like rubbing the paint off of Robin Williams' face. Like there you are, Peter. There you are. Like there they are. They're back. It's so exciting, Jake. We'll get to the offense defensively. What stood out to you in this game, other than it was like flawless? This Kings team like has the best quotation marks offense of all time. Best offense in the NBA this season. I understand, you know, the the naysayers, the haters, they're going to say Kings were on a back-to-back end of a road trip. Well, the Celtics were on the end of a road trip as well, and everybody was killing the Celtics for losing a back-to-back, missing 
three key players as well. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch this game, if you're not just box score watching, if you watch this game, the Kings came out with like a serious purpose. They were and they were hitting some baloney, some bullshit. They really some ridiculous were. stuff. <laughs> they really were. Whether it was Darren Fox, like literally like first possession, second possession, step back three, you know, Davion Mitchell going off. Terrence Davis starting to percolate, to quote uh, Mark Jones. I did I did consume the Kings broadcast today, um, and he always has some great ones. But, like, this, yeah. this is the best offense in the league, and they showed wh- why in the first half. Like, it's really difficult to deal with all the handoffs. Everybody's moving. De'Aaron Fox is a handful in transition. They have the firepower. And the Cs were locked in. And, like, this is why the measured people – which was me until kind of recently, haven't had too many concerns because when they are locked in, they have one of the best defenses in the NBA and his name is Robert Williams. Oh, he's back, baby. <laughs> he's back. The Time Lord returneth. <laughs> yeah, so good. So glad to see that guy back. And, you know, obviously he didn't start. He came off the bench uh, and as soon as he popped onto our screams, I, I think it was goosebumps for, you know, not necessarily even Celtics fans as invested as we are, but just all of, you know, quote unquote Celtics nation, knowing, you know, what we've been missing all of this time to see that man, that beautiful man uh, check in is uh, is amazing. What do you think about Rob Williams off the bench there, Jay? Because I think he played, what, 20 minutes? Perfect. Like just over 20 minutes. Perfect. And, and suddenly, like your backup big isn't Luke Cornett. It's not Blake Griffin, who I love, or Mike Muscala, who I am learning to love. It's the freaking <laughs> Time Lord. He's your he's your backup big. Like that's that's the way of the future, right? This is perfect. The way that they've managed. I mean, I, there was an extra three minutes that we didn't have to play because we actually held on to a big lead, as we should have done. <laughs> didn't look like we were going times. to for a second, but it got I down digress. to twelve. <laughs> we missed a lot of free throws today. We did. Looking at you, Jason, outside of having an incredible <laughs> game. Uh, this is perfect. This is exactly what it should look like for the remainder of the regular season. I don't think they need to go back to double bigs even when the playoffs start. Um, maybe against Milwaukee when they're running out there, Giannis, Brooke Lopez lineup, you want to go with this. Um, but other than that, bringing Rob off the bench works great. He has chemistry with, with D. White. Man, the the rim pressure, like we talk about, you know, go to the rim, get these paint touches. Rob makes it so much easier because yeah. the gravity of his role is is so is, is this, there is some. There is no gravity with Horford, he pops, Grant, zero, Blake, love you, zero, Scala, pop, Cornette, love you, no gravity. <laughs> like there's just it's it's it was just as night and day. The first pick and roll, it was like, oh, Derek White ball handler. They're going, yeah. they're going with him. There's space. There's space to attack on a pick and roll. It's it cannot be overstated, and it almost makes me mad that they were even considering pushing Rob to thirty minutes the way they were throughout the season because it is so obvious how important he is. Like the numbers, the eye test. He, he this is the only way we win. The title, probably. Yeah. And like, try and get through the first round with Rob playing like sub 22 minutes and him coming off the bench. I'm not saying anything new here, but it means that, first of all, it puts us in a position to start Derek White and then to continue to play Derek White, who saw, thank God, some fourth quarter minutes in this game because- 37. We know uh, we love double big. It's been successful. We've seen, you know, pockets of success with double big even this year post Ime Udoka. But Rob off the bench with Derek White having more of a prominent role, a starting role even, it, it, can, it leaves a, a continued you know, pocket of space for uh, Malcolm Brogdon to play as well. Uh, Sammy Bucket, Sam Hauser was maybe the most notable omission from the rotation. We, we might be a little too early in the podcast to get to Sam Hauser, but we, we need to because he's been <laughs> vital for the team through stretches of this season. But yeah, the, I mean, the big story is that the Celtics, you know, they came out, they returned to the play the right way Celtics. They were zipping around on, on defense and that connectedness on defense really led to the same thing offensively. And it's been so long since we've seen it play out that way that it was once again a surprise to, to finally see it 
bear out that way, but that was absolutely the case. They started off with incredible defense. Like you said, Jake, the Kings were hitting some shit. Dude, and they come just could continue to defend the right way and not hang their heads when Terrence Davis or whoever or uh, Davion Mitchell, who's not like a known good no. three-point shooter, it's some bullshit. And they yeah. just continue to fight and play the right way despite that. And then offensively, the, the chemistry was born out of that, I thought. The, I mean, I think, that I think that defense is the key to it all. Like the way that they get stops, it makes it easier to get and run. I feel like the Kings almost brought out the best Celtics in a way because they like to get up and down and mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, another team's getting up and down. The, yeah. the, the pace of this game was <laughs> insanity. <laughs> yes. Insanity all the way through pretty much. I was very impressed by the Kings to have that in them after playing in Utah last night. Ben, I have I have hope that the <laughs> the Rockets loss, the Utah blown lead, is there a little bit of, you know, magic, poetic, um, the stars aligning. Last year it was the Knicks game, RJ mm-hmm. Barrett, banker to win. Danny Ainge takes over the Utah Jazz. He's the one who like, he takes our coach off the bench. He throws the zone at us, makes us blow this 20-point lead. We got the Jalen stories. Backs against the wall, narrative, media-wise. Everybody's like, Every podcast you listen to is like reveling in the Celtics' demise. Yes. I can't listen to them anymore. I, yeah. I subscribe to this narrative, Jake. You, you've got me. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. I'm sold. Where, where can I buy the book? Well, let's see. Because maybe this is what they need. This, this, the, this is the, the point where they're like, all right, enough. Playoffs are coming. Sick of hearing all this shit on first take, wherever it may be. Um, we know we're the, be- like the best team in the league. Let's go, and, go out and stomp. The best offense in the NBA. Uh, We've got a listener here on the live stream, Chol, saying the Celtics did very well, as indeed they did. Boston is still my pick for the NBA title, in my opinion. Uh, Love to hear it. I I I want to get back in that in that mind space, that mind space, mindset, Um, mind space, mind head. Yeah, don't know if that works. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. We've been burnt (laughs) so much so recently that um, as much as I want to believe the Celtics will win the title, uh, it's been a rough stretch. That said, four and two, it turns out, on this road trip, which is incredible given, you know, with the Rockets game, didn't necessarily look like it was going to turn out to be a net positive for the Celtics. And yet, here we are. Let's talk about the offense very quickly. Just five turnovers in this game, which is already low, but really just two when it mattered. It was two turnovers only until like some way through the fourth quarter. And then, you know, like you said, Jake, the the Kings, they knocked that lead down to 12. It was looking a little dicey. I know I was, I was clenching. There was a a real clench going on in my house. Yeah, we're tight. Tight. That's just PTSD. That's not our fault. Tighter than the Celtics defense in the first three quarters, (laughs) uh, the sphincters were. But, uh, you know, they they punch back, which is really, really good to see. They absorbed that that fight from the Kings and uh, and pushed it back onto them. So five turnovers, two when it mattered. The Kings, by the way, 14 turnovers. Incredible. The Celtics had 33 assists. They averaged just 26, which isn't terrible per game this season. Points in the paint. 56 to 38 in favor of the Celtics. Second chance points, second chance points rather, 17 to 5 in favor of the Celtics. Fast break points, 8 to 2 in favor of the Celtics. And then the down tick here, unfortunately, 69% on uh, free throw shooting. Nice, but not great. Not and nice. Tatum Jeez. is uh, the, the absolute culprit there. But before we get to that, can we just focus a little bit on the fluidity of this offense and how it was born out of... Um, you know, the fluidity of the defense, I suppose. It does help to be playing the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> they're, they're the rim protection, not exactly there. The, the, what we love, first offensive possession. We spoke about it last podcast. Spoonie's been on it. We've all been on it. Celtic Twitter's on it. Tatum post up. The yes. first possession of the game. And they went to it a lot. I think um, at one point, Mark Jones on the broadcast said that was his fifth bucket from that from that area. I'll have to check the numbers tomorrow. He had a nice assist to Derek White out of the post. Literally everything we spoke about last podcast happened today. And you wonder, 
Are they not using it as much as they could or should be because it's the regular season? I know they went to it a fair bit in the playoffs last year. It felt like a playoff game today. It did. It really, it really did. Like the feel, like the the emotion of the players on the court, the crowd, the emotion of the fans, the comments after the game. Joe. Joe getting in his bag, like rotationally speaking, as yeah. well, keeping it quite limited. Again, we'll mention Hauser and not not you know unpack that. We will yeah, eventually. Yeah. Um, but Joe tightening it up and the the post up thing is like I don't know. Do they listen to the podcast? Because not only were we hype, uh, you know, harping on that, but we released a, a clip on on Twitter, you know, earlier today before the game. Viral again. tweet, incredibly viral. Yeah, I think <laughs> every citizen of the internet uh, ended up seeing that one, which was incredible. <laughs> But yeah, getting into the paint, kicking, swinging, shooting, driving, everything we love, a mirror image of what was successful in November. And then the third quarter, like as if it wasn't sexy enough, the third quarter comes around, the Kings go back to their like hitting shit ways. And if we thought the Kings were hitting shit, the Celtics were hitting like everything in that moment. That was maybe the most exhilarating stretch of basketball I can remember in recent Days, weeks, months. What do you think, Jake? I mean, we had it. We had it all. It was you know Marcus Smart getting downhill, wrap around pass, kick Jalen Brown three. Jalen, man, he is on a tear, and we're going to get all kinds of into Jalen Brown today. I'm sure, <laughs> as uh, as I'm sure he's keen for. But look, it, we had yeah Tatum to the rim, like this move on De'Aaron Fox where he was De'Aaron Fox fouled him aggressively twice. Tatum. And, I, and this was part of the playoff stuff. It was like, it reminded me of when the way KD was like playing him so aggressively in the series that they beat us in five games and that 50 point game from Tatum where that mid high post range kind of like body, body, and then just like a little bit of footwork, like splash, like 16, 17 footer, um, kind of had it all offensively. Maestro Marcus, Jalen dunking, uh, yeah. Playing all the hits, vibe. baby. Playing yeah. all the hits. Jalen, like, uh, kind of looks like MJ. Obviously, is not MJ in any way, shape, or form, but the aesthetic is there. There's, there's certainly a, a similarity. Um, we've got some clips here. Speaking of Jalen Brown, and, you know, I, we're going to get more into Jalen Brown because obviously his name has been circulating on, on Twitter in the last 24 hours because of that. Ringer article, but just some some classic Jalen Brown celebrating with his teammates moment. So we'll start with this one, Jake. I'm going to get you to talk through these because you've uploaded them to the to the stream here. But these are these are really important to look at, just based on on you know judging Jalen Brown's vibe, given what was said, you know, in the article recently. Yeah, I thought these clips. Marcus gets downhill and one on Keegan Murray. Jalen's the first one to come pick him up. And it's just aggressive, boom, chest bump. Huge, like, huge. Like Marcus is tough because I know for a fact that that would have knocked me over. Um, and then <sighs> Tatum comes in, daps up Marcus. And like literally just the play before, we have Marcus, you know, a little screen slip, bang, yams it on. Fucks up the net. The Kings. Yeah. Like this this kind of emotion that, that Jalen and the guys are playing with, we haven't seen it for a little while. And it, I think it just speaks to where these guys' heads were at. They they know they've they've been in a funk. Jalen's passing, by the way, in this game. Dump off to Rob. Timeout Kings. This is the turning point in the game. Go up 42-39. Daps up his boy from Atlanta, Malcolm Brogdon. Hand-shattering hand dap up there. That yeah. was aggressive. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. I think, and like Jalen, pretty even killed. For the most part, when when whether it's going well or whether it's going bad, you know, you can kind of say the same for for Tatum. This is kind of the most emotion I feel like I'd seen Jalen show in a kind of a, in a while, and I think that means something. I think that's informative, and for it to come today, look, we all feeling it. It's it, you know, going into the game, I'm convincing myself this game doesn't matter. It's one game, end of a road trip, <laughs> Kings have the best offense. But you, that's a lie. Those are all lies. Yeah. <laughs> Those are all lies. I didn't believe any of that. And these guys obviously felt the same way because they came out and played with that level of intensity. And when they play with this level of intensity and focus, committed to their principles on offense, pain touches, 
leading to threes, not that because there, there was a little bit of, you know, quick passes leading to bad threes, but for the most part, sticking to their principles, attacking the paint. Yeah. Letting the threes open the paint and vice versa, which is beautiful. A 90% success rate on the playing the right way scale. And thank God for that. And Jalen Brown, 27 points on 62.5% shooting. So efficient. Five rebounds, four assists as well. And just like filling the gaps left for him by Tatum. And again, in this day where like, you know, his role and his long-term future on the team is called into question, to see him like perfectly supplement Jason Tatum um, and yet still lead the team in his own way. It was just so important for optics. So really good to see. And Jalen Brown, post-game, he said, that looked like the team I recognize. We came out, we played 48 minutes, we didn't take our foot off the gas, and we took care of business. Summed it up perfectly. Let's get into some individual performances from this one. Promise we will get the Hauser. I don't know I don't know if anyone cares. We've teased. Yeah, Is that the right did, word? Ben's teased getting the Hauser. <laughs> if you listen, to long, listen for long enough, we're getting to Sammy Buckets at some point. Stay tuned. Jason Tatum, <laughs> 36 points, eight boards, four assists, two steals, improved team defense. Like I don't know if he necessarily had any individual defensive highlights, but you know, he really used his length and his agility to I don't want to say lead the team defensively because it was more Rob and, and Marcus, but but Tatum I feel like he elevated his game defensively and he didn't have as many mistakes that we've sort of been we've grown used to seeing from Jason Tatum. Um fifty six percent from the line, Jake, which is concerning what what are your thoughts on on Tatum's game? It was mostly good, but there were some yeah. concerning signs. It, I not actually concerning. Like I don't. I'm not worried about Tatum's free throw shooting, but sure. but like, dude, you just cost yourself a forty ball. What are you doing? How many did he miss? Six free throws. He was six for eleven, I think. So yeah, okay. So yeah, he, how many times does he does he just just make you know mo- almost like all of those except for one, Jason. <laughs> You're missing out on all the graphics and the things that say 40 points. That's that's just leaving. And to be honest, that back little in the bit MVP of sh- conversation. Back, exactly that that little moment of stress that everybody felt when the lead got down to 12. I was like, Jason, you made three of those free throws. It would still be a 15 point lead. But thankfully, we're not sitting here being like they played really well. If only they'd made their free throws, they would have won this game. Um, we didn't have and- to do that. And Tatum came back in at that yeah. most dire moment in the fourth and just like yeah. took total control of the game again. And it was over from that point, which is, um, you know, we, we fall in love with individuals throughout the course of a season, but like clearly like Tatum is the captain at the helm as, as far as like regaining control of games. No question. And your point on the defense, like Tatum, I think, I mean, he, he doesn't really deserve a lot of defensive um, adul- adul- adulation. Uh, this season for because um, it's been it's been in and out. It's been big games. He's been there. Rockets game was Nets game disaster. But when he is playing defense, I just it doesn't like quite jump off the screen like Marcus's or Derek's or Rob's like especially when he's playing locked in. His best attribute when it comes to defense is help defense, as you said. And so like when he's locked in, he's like a baby Giannis. Like he's 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 big, he's long, like passing lanes get far more difficult for, for things to get through. It just slows down the other team's offense. It's just like this overall aura. I think when Tatum's locked in, it leads to the rest of the team being locked in defensively as well, which is, you know, part of the frustration, I think, because um, the team goes as your best player goes. But when he's locked in on defense, I think it raises the level of everyone else around him on top of obviously what he's bringing to the table defensively. And then what I loved, we spoke about the post-ups already, but the shot chart, the shot profile, seven three-point attempts. And it reminds me of the Cavs game where he had six three-point attempts where he was four Mm -hmm. for six. Today he was only two for seven. But I think seven max eight needs to be the, the, the number here. I've got the shot chart up on YouTube here. You've got seven three-point attempts, you've got four mid-range attempts, two for four, and then 10 for 14 attempts at the rim, 71%, which is just above his uh, 70% mark for the season, which is really good, where 60% is, um, you know, league average there. Mm-hmm. 
Incredible. Perfect. Perfect. And by listening to the Kings broadcast, which I did just because I was watching on delay and sometimes if you watch the Celtics one or you try and change, it can give you spoilers. It, Mark Jones gave a tidbit that Tatum did an extra session with Drew Hanlon uh, today or, or yesterday uh, in kind of preparation or to kind of try and bounce back from the sump that he's having. And you wonder um, the change in the approach today, the less threes, the post touches, the mid-range stuff, getting to the rim. I think it's one of those things where it's hard to point to one factor because I think there was a team like everybody just being locked in and up for this game, um, whether it was just Tatum's specific approach. I think there was a lot of things you could point mm-hmm. to, but all these things you'd like to see because it means that like they're taking this seriously. Everybody likes to say, uh, then you know they're not caring about the regular season. Where's the fire? Like these guys care. I don't know how you can doubt that at this point. Um, but I think that's a cool little piece of information. Like you know whether he flew Hanlon in or he was already out there to get an ex- extra session in on top of the shoot around. Uh, to kind of tighten some of this stuff up. It's whatever it did paid off tonight. Oh, I'm sure that Drew Hanlon like made Tatum foot the bill for that flight out to yeah. um to Sacramento or wherever they, they caught up. But um yeah, it's a good sign that he, you know, really cares quite yes, a lot. I did yeah, call out Drew Spoonie, Hanlon last Spoonie, Spoonie, Good worked. morning, Wade Spoonie calling out yeah, in the chat. Morning <laughs> second second part in a row. Uh that's amazing. Marcus Smart had a rough start to the game. He had um, maybe his worst shooting sequence of all time where he, oh was it three Lord. or four shots that- Three in a row. Like, yeah, like just the angle, the camera angle on the broadcast, you could see them like sort of curve off almost like a boomerang. <laughs> they were terrible <laughs> shots. Um, and then he got one from the, the far wing from the broadcast perspective. Uh, I think he missed that first option as well. And then finally made the second one starting to get some repetition there. And then he went on this insane end of the second quarter run where it was a layup, uh, an assist to Horford, which was a three, an assist to Jalen Brown, also a three. Then drew two of the most Marcus Smart offensive fouls of all time. Just insane, like, just going to get tangled up. He got tangled up with Sabonis. He got tangled up with someone else as well. Drew some crazy, uh, crazy offensive fouls. Um, so despite those clanker three-point attempts, he was really the catalyst for that late first-half surge that put the Celtics in a good position to to take off, and they absolutely did beginning the second half. Um, you know, Smart's still working his way back, but but maestroed his way through the end of the second quarter to put the Celtics in a position to win. And then through the second quarter was more of the lovable Marcus Smart, less shot mm-hmm. attempts, less assertion overall, particularly in the offense, and more just being a cog in the machine rather than a standout and flawed character. What do you think of Smart's performance in this game overall? Yeah, uh, four field goal attempts in the second half. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 11 in the first half. I didn't think any of them were particularly bad shots. There was no like early shot clock pull-ups. Most of them came off catch and shoot, which is where you want him taking them. But there are a couple that were... He could have easily pump faked, drove, kicked. There was plenty of time for for him to kind of keep the offense moving considering you had almost murdered two people in the stands with your previous <laughs> two three-point attempts. Like yes. they were so, so bad. But this is why Marcus Smart is a playoff guy. How many players, how many humans have three just disgusting attempts on the road where everybody's going, airball, which yeah. you can hear. And then he makes the next one and then he just doesn't lose confidence. And then he makes the in the, in the third quarter, the right in front of the King's bench, they're yelling all kinds of nonsense right at him. Bang, turns around. He's like, I was always making it. I know, what, what are you talking about? I airballed three just before. This is the kind of confidence that he has, which is why – he makes big shots like he just does. He's done it that many times. And when they're the right type of shots, like these are just his career shooting splits pretty much, right? Like he was 40 and 33 today. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. kind, of, kind of what you expect. You just want it to be on 10 total shots as opposed to 15 total shots, which is what we saw in the second half. It was more Maestro Marcus taking the opportunistic field goal attempts. Yeah. And the four field goal attempts, like you said, Jake, in the second yeah. half is a is – a- very important chapter in the story of how this game went. Um, 
30 minutes. We, we've got to really rattle through the rest of this. I, you know, I want to try and truly two of us in, in talking about one game. We can keep this under 50 minutes. Um, Derek White, Robert Williams, Grant Williams. Those are the three individual performances I want to get to before we move on. Derek White, 20 points, 11 assists, seven boards. Like we said, played in the fourth quarter and had a game high of two blocks. Did Derek White assert himself in this game in any way uh, that you, you know, have not seen recently? Or was it just a, a result of the additional minutes, like the deserved minutes, you might say, that he actually got in this game? Look, the he was five for 10 from three. So you, you can't expect that. But even if he goes three for 10 from three, which is well below his season average, like this is still a, let me do the quick math. 16 point, 12 assist, seven rebound, two block game. Yeah. The mistress was out and about tonight. Like, Killing the math lately as well, Jake. I got to say, uh, like, that's just, look, it's the really All-Star, the cogs are turning there. Look, someone actually got ready for the, for the post All Star break as opposed to the Celtics. <laughs> but Derek White, like, look, 37 minutes. Like, this is the guy that, yes. My future wife has chimed in here. The I was going to say, that's your Not actual even, fiance, right? Yeah, yeah the <laughs> Shout out to Lucy. In. The irony. <laughs> She's welcomed the mistress into the family with open arms. So good. This is why we're calling for it. 37 plus minutes from Derek White. He's the guy that can take the load from these guys, especially on a night like tonight. And you got to give Joe credit. Like he was searching last game. In a, in, you know, of games to not play Derek White. Zero fourth quarter minutes, inexcusable, but in a, in a Against a team with molt, like three seven footers in their closing lineup, you can at least understand it. To see him, I see he's got to be listening to the podcast between the Tatum post ups, Derek White minutes. Joe's got to be tuning in. Um, <laughs> honestly, a perfect game from Derek, and like yeah. we should, he should have been playing thirty to thirty five every game. Robert Williams, I thought. Uh, I mean, we spoke about him earlier, so we can we can move on uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. But did just enough. Played, you know, just under twenty one minutes. Was the defensive anchor for the most part during his minutes and and playing single big. You know, just watching Rob drop and and navigate Sabonis the way that he did, uh, and so naturally as well. Like you'd think that he'd be out of rhythm. You know, not just missing this recent stretch, but missing a significant amount of games this season, and really comes back with like a, a slight defensive masterclass, which uh, is really good. He said after the game that he felt good. You could see him sort of hopping around and and being quite agile in his defensive coverages as well. He had a few good you know rolls and cuts to the basket offensively. So it's great that we're limiting his minutes. He certainly hasn't lost a step. If anything, he's gained half a step. Like he actually seems really yeah. quite healthy, which is really good. And you've added a quote here to the run sheet, Jake. I'm going to steal it and read it out. Yeah, please do. Tatum, having Rob back makes a world of difference. Um, that's clear. What did you think, Jake? Yeah, this is impressive to come back and and have that much of an impact straight off the bat. He, you can't. You can't overstate how important he is to this team and their ability to win a title, uh, to just collect regular season wins. Like your margin of error is completely different when Robert Williams is on the court from the offense, you know, the the rim pressure and the offensive rebounding to the defense. Like he's just I he's just so, so, so much better than Luke Cornett. <laughs> yes. So 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 much better. And Oh, and this is the thing. This is what I've been saying. 20 minutes of Rob is plenty to beat like every single team in the NBA. Like plenty. It's all we need. It's enough. We've got this big, this guy, Al Horford, who's mm-hmm. just been like stealing Rob's like youth somehow. Like, I don't know what he's been doing, but he should be sharing it at least a little bit more than what he's been doing. <laughs> Well, yeah, and if it can, if we play that single big rotation and it can limit Al Horford's minutes as well, then there's a double benefit there. So yeah. I hope to see that at least as we, I don't want to use the word coast because we've got some sub 500 teams coming up and as soon as we talk about coasting against those teams, well, we I might know. go 0-3 against some seemingly easy opponents coming up. But uh, I, I like the rotation as it was today and uh, hopefully that's something that Joe can stick to because he... Ain't stuck to nothing uh, so far this season. 
Grant Williams, solid defensively, didn't over-assert himself anywhere, had some, quote, Johnny-on-the-spot moments, as Sean Grandy put it. And in this particular game, he wins the First of the Floor award for First of the Floor, presented by First of the Floor. As we run a clip here of Grant Williams, really, this is when the game was starting to get, I don't want to say dire, but called into question a little bit. Look at him, just flying on the floor. Yeah, huge. This is is a big claim. And and huge for endearing himself, you know, back to the fan base and to the team yeah. as well, because we've long suspected that he's become so annoying as a person that no one likes him anymore. Uh, shout out <laughs> to Gil, who I hope isn't hearing us say this, uh, Gil, uh, Grant's father. But for him to throw himself on the floor like that, a la Blake Griffin, uh, is hugely endearing to everyone. And it's something that we want to see is like role players finding a way to impact the game that isn't like aggressively shot faking and, and you know driving into triple coverages and turning the ball over. This is a nice, nice response game from Grant Williams. Yeah, look, early I was a little concerned. There were a couple moments that he just got blown by and I'm like getting to write, like just in my notes, like, oh, here we go again. Can't stay in front of anybody. But then it was forced to travel on Harrison Barnes. Like stayed in front of De'Aaron Fox. Malcolm Brogdon had the fast break and he missed it because he was there to tip it in. Grant Williams, like first to the floor. This is like he didn't hit a single three, one three point attempt. And if you were to tell Celtics fans that Grant Williams had one of his best games in a while and he didn't make a single three, very, very surprising. So the fact, and this is what you need to be doing if you're Grant, this is your role. Your role is gritty eighth man. You need to be diving on the floor. You're going to be playing defense. You're going to be any fast break. You're going to be busting your ass back. Or if your own team is fast breaking like he did today, you got to be down there in case Malcolm Brogdon misses the layup, which he's prone to do two for eight today. Mm-hmm. This is that's what you need. You got to be busting, be grinding. Yeah, he was busting and grinding. All right, I just he busting uh, and grinding. Yeah, we just need to see that and. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see that for another stretch now, but it was nice to see just everyone sort of rear their heads and put their hand up and, and show us like, yes, maybe we have been coasting a little bit. Now we have an, a nice little data point that, you know, that the team, they still can galvanize. They still know what they're doing. They can get up against good teams. And, and maybe the key stat to take away from... This game and and the season so far is that they're nine and two against the top three teams in either conference. So you might you know it's one thing to suspect that they get up for these big games. You look at that stat and like they absolutely get up for these huge games. And you know if if only we could go into the playoffs taking that stat as like a claim to the first seed because like. In that sense, like clearly, like we we give a shit about playing good teams. We beat them like regularly, but unfortunately, we've got to play all, the, all these other teams. We're not going to necessarily get up for all those games, and hence we've dipped a little bit in the seating. Although we are back up to second now. Thank you, um, Chicago Bulls. Um, oh man, well, what, what a team! Yeah, <laughs> get rid of that. Amazing. One. What a comforting stat, though. Nine and two uh, against against those teams, against the, the top teams in either conference. Are there any other takeaways to get to from this game, Jake? Or can we talk about Sam Hauser for 20 seconds? Because it really doesn't matter. <laughs> ben, look, one seed's not out of reach. Currently, 17% chance of getting the one seed. Not out mm-hmm. of the question yet. Crazy. For Celtics fans, for opposing team fans that are licking their chops, salivating at the idea of the Celtics that have been collapsing in March, Good luck. Good luck with their fantasy. Um, there's nothing more <laughs> Philadelphia 76er than dominating the months of February and March only to lose in five games to the Boston Celtics again, just like they did in 2017-18 where they closed the season 18-1. and 18-1 and and then lose to the Celtics in five. These months don't matter. I'm sorry. Like, this is not an indicator of who's going to be the best <laughs> in the playoffs. And yeah. uh, yeah, there will be nothing more classic than the Sixers dominating the least important games um, and Embiid winning MVP only to be swept out of the playoffs by the Boston Celtics. 
please, God, I want that to happen so much. <laughs> and yeah, the, the months don't matter, unfortunately, for fans. And we talk about it ad nauseum. The days matter. The weeks matter. The sleepless yep. nights, Jake, they yep. matter. I'm but yeah, schedule-wise for the Celtics coming up, they've got the Pacers and Spurs both at home. After a nice lengthy break, I'd imagine they you know, either flew back tonight or, or first thing in the morning. They go back on the road against the Wizards, and then it's the Bucks, and then it's the Jazz, and then it's the Sixers. So a, a nice, hopefully, cozy homestand, quick two-game homestand before a few challenging road games there and a few maybe seeding-altering games. But uh, despite it being March, despite the month not mattering, we've got some interesting games coming up. We should move on. We talked about it. It was the, sort of the online narrative today prior to the Kings game or yesterday by the time you're listening that uh, Logan Murdoch of The Ringer wrote uh, a pretty um, insightful article. It was a good article. Like, let's just let's just call it what it is. Despite, you know, some of the negative takeaways for Celtics fans, like this is the kind of article that I think journalists dream of writing. And Bill Simmons called it on his podcast today, like old school journalism and, and like gave Logan Murdoch his kudos. The, the notes from the article, like essentially the premise of the article is that Jalen Brown is striving to strike a balance between playing the game and being known beyond it. And there's a lot of insights there. You know, one in particular that he struggled early in his Celtics tenure with his limited role as a third overall pick while guys like Ben Simmons, uh, who is no longer a rotation player, yeah. and Brandon Ingram, who was traded away from Los Angeles, uh, were flourishing on their teams. But, you know, I can imagine at the time that would have been difficult given their roles back then. Um, on a completely other note, on the other side of the coin, it refers to uh, Marcus Smart as, quote, Jalen's best friend on the team, which I think is news to me and probably most Celtics fans. Uh, it talks about Kyrie Irving. He says in the article that me and Kyrie didn't really see eye to eye when we were there, uh, really at all. And then Kyrie no Irving... Yeah, uh, Kyrie Irving apparently, or you know, already with the championship under his belt, felt that it was his responsibility to help facilitate Brown's ambitious goals and guide the young Celtics into contention for years to come. But Irving, surprise, surprise, now admits he missed the mark. <laughs> um, I guess you know we can we can go back and forth on the quotes and you know the little nuggets and tidbits from this article. But what were your main? takeaways and I guess how do you feel about Jalen and his spot on the team long term going forward Jake oh man it was it's a lot to digest as a fan yeah yes it really it's really it's really hard because all we really want is for everybody to be happy kumbaya wear the Celtics uniforms for 10 more years win a championship hopefully along the way but you know everybody's human and the dynamics of this NBA business can be pretty ruthless and um, it sucks that there's like the, the race, the racism element that Jalen's had to deal with and the black athletes in Boston have had to deal with. So like you, you empathize so much with, with all of that stuff. Um, and then on the other hand, like I thought like a lot of the, the stuff online today about Jalen leaving the team, like, I, there was only a couple of quotes and a couple of little tidbits that really spoke to like Jalen's commitment. And so much of it was about more about Jalen as a person from his college days, his activism, um, stuff with, you know, Kanye or Yee and, and Kyrie that I think, um, speaks to Jalen more as a, as a person. And we can get caught up in the little bits as Celtics fans with him staying with the team or not. Um, I think you could if you if you don't want to read it and you want like the quick takeaway, it's like I want to feel respected. I mm -hmm. want to feel wanted by my employer. And so when the Celtics have the chance, they better call him up and be like, "This is the maximum that we can offer you. We want to keep you for as long as we can." Um, the Durant trade stuff. I think that was definitely, and Bill Simmons talked about it in his pod. That was definitely a moment. The Tatum uploading the photo of him and Durant working out in the midst of the rumors, terribly tone death. Yes. I think that yes. just speaks to specifically Tatum kind of not really being involved with this stuff. Like we love him yes. being the, the low maintenance superstar. I truly believe that he did not think that it would cause any issues because if he did, I don't think he would have done it. He just doesn't – he's like the – 
definition of I just want to play basketball and like hang out with my kid and like have fun. Like we don't get any drama stuff. He doesn't get involved with the GM stuff. So yeah, that, but that thing, I think that tipped Jalen over the edge a little bit. Totally. Uh, we talk about him being wise beyond his years, but that was like the quintessential, you know, at the time, I'm, I'm a 24-year-old dude moment and like not necessarily thinking about the feelings of other people, which, uh, yeah. you know, we've all been there. So, um, you know, forgiveness, I think, is 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 the theme coming out from that, but uh, you know, maybe apparently not from, from Jalen Brown, who obviously felt struggling enough to, to sort of bring it up in, in this article. Alarm bells for me, Jake, were at like a... <laughs> like a four out of 10 reading the actual okay. article, everything out of everything in context, reading the article. I didn't think that the takeaway quotes, which then circulated on Twitter, which I read first, which had me at a 10 out of 10, as far as alarm bells, you know, read the articles, people. That's the advice because everything yeah. in its proper context uh, is, is really important. And then Jalen Brown had some post game quotes, which we'll get to where he sort of called out the fact that even those quotes which felt like they were in the right context in the article may have actually been taken out of context as far as like the actual interviews that he did with the author, Logan Murdoch. And then notes from the Bill Simmons pod, you know, Bill Simmons' biggest takeaway as to why Jalen Brown might be disgruntled is that they, the Celtics, didn't handle the Kevin Durant for Jalen Brown trade room as well, which... uh, I suppose is right in some degree in that they didn't just go out like Bill Simmons said on his pod and explicitly call out, um, we do not want to trade Jalen Brown. But, you know, if you think about the Celtics' lack of voice in that moment, it's consistent with their lack of voice and their lack of, um, you know, publishing uh, anything as far as their front office's conversations. It's it, it's consistent with that. Like, we we never know what's going on it was the same with the Mike Muscala trade. It was the same with the Derek White trade. Like it, the what's going on behind the scenes with the Celtics is is never pub- publicized, at least within the Brad Stevens regime. And so, not hearing from the Celtics during that Kevin Durant for Jalen Brown saga is at least consistent with that. And so, obviously, I know nothing, but I would hope that the conversation was at least consistent and ongoing with Jalen Brown and and Brad Stevens as far as like, no, dude, like we're not going to trade you. We love you. And now Kevin Durant, he's out. He's injured, at least until the postseason. Jalen Brown is playing maybe the best basketball over his entire career. Um, that feels quite good. Do you, do you think there's something to that? The Celtics mishandled you know, the conversation and the optics in that particular part of the offseason before this particular season started? If Jalen thinks they did, then they did. The reality is you need to keep your other franchise superstar happy in the loop. It sounds like they, they kind of smoothed it out. They did the Jalen did the three-way call with Tatum and Brad, get the, get the vibes. Yeah. Um, I do think like Logan Murdoch and the way that he talks about the Jays and the Celtics. When I listened to his podcast with Roger Bell, I've never really thought that he has his finger on the pulse when it comes to the Celtics. And when he was speaking about on the podcast today with with Simmons, and who am I, right? Like this guy's got actual sources and like he's the one having a real conversation with Marcus Smart and Kyrie Irving and Jalen Brown. But I don't think he's watching every Celtics game and watching all the post-game interviews and and yeah. like like we are, like psychopaths. Um, the idea that, you know, the age regime reputation, like Jalen's a smart guy, like he understands all these rumors, like the AD stuff didn't happen, the Paul George, Jimmy Butler, like all of these rumors, he's still here. Like they never traded him. They never um, made that that move. So I think that, you know, this reputation of the Celtics, you know, from the IT trade, like they're the only team, like the fact that that's even coming up is so outrageous. Like, the, like Harrison Barnes got traded on the bench in the middle of a game, like that mm-hmm. we all saw. Like, there are so many examples of like people just like, you know, getting getting traded. It's and people leaving. the The fact that the Celtics are, are singled out in this way is kind of ridiculous to me. Um, but yeah, the post game comments today after the game, the the quote from Jay King. Maybe we we should do that now. Um, definitely made me feel better. Uh, the fact that you're at a four out of ten, 
like that's a that's a Ben Vallis four out of ten, which is like a, a normal person <laughs> two out of ten. I feel amazing. Um, but yeah, I think if we we pull them, them I've got them up on the YouTube there. But um, on his recent comments, how do you feel? I feel great. I'm on a fifty win team right now. You can't take that for granted. Tonight was their fiftieth win. I'm focused on helping to lead my team for another playoff run. In terms of speculation, etc., I can't speculate on anything above what I'm doing right now. I think sometimes people write articles, they get taken out of context, especially when writers have their own agendas or whatever. So for me personally, I'm thinking about clarifying some of those things that have been recently said. But other than that, I'm just focused on my team. I'm focused on playing basketball and winning games. Goes on to ask him like what he's going to clarify. Um, but the fact that he doesn't feel like he was represented properly in that article thinks a big deal. But then part of me is also like, Jalen, you – did the articles like two yeah. obviously came out in like you understand how the media works but then on the the third side of the coin i know that he's trying to build that platform to have the influence that he's you know positively having on his community and other communities you know around the world really and bobby manning pointed out on twitter that you know the interview was actually conducted in january i don't know if that means anything other than it's like really in the the like crucial doldrums of the nba season where like you're so fatigued from the beginning and there's no end in sight you haven't even made the all-star break yet that the tone of the comments that you might get from whatever athlete whatever nba athlete that you're interviewing at that particular juncture of the season you know that that might come into play but it was really i think important and certainly just a relief as fans to hear Jalen address it in the way he did. You know, he was prompted, I think, by Jay King yeah. after the game. So it's not like he just spoke off the cuff, but it was good to see him uh, respond the way he did. A couple of other things from the Bill Simmons pod, like he talked about the Ainge regime. You touched on it a second ago, Jake, that like the the optics from trading Isaiah Thomas would still be a factor for how other people consider the Celtics and that the Brad Stevens regime haven't done enough to uh, to rebuild their reputation. That's something that I just straight up disagree with. Like, yeah, it's like crazy. It, it shouldn't be a lack of actions that are assessed in terms of like rebuilding. Like, what's Brad Stevens supposed to do other than build the best team possible? Like, go out of his way to enact certain trades and acquisitions to. Um, like to make up for to to get forgiveness for the IT thing that he wasn't even responsible for. Like, no, his his role was to build the best team possible. So, like, we shouldn't be looking for Brad to atone for Danny Ainge's sins, right? Like, we should just yeah. be looking for him to do what he has been doing awesomely, which is building the best possible roster and, by all accounts, keeping everyone, including Jalen Brown, happy. Speaking of Jalen Brown, and to wrap up here. Jake, I say speaking of Jalen Brown, like we haven't been talking about him for the last 10 minutes. Speaking of. <laughs> do, do you think he's likely to make All-NBA? And do you think that his making All-NBA and the Celtics then eligibility to sign him to a Supermax extension will be enough to keep him around? And do you want that to happen? Do you want us to spend that much of our salary distribution on Jalen Brown? Yeah, to that last bit, Yes. The, I agree. Yes, me too. Like you, you, you have to keep Jalen and Jason together at all costs. And with the speculating around the cap spiking with the new TV deal, Jalen Supermax is not going to feel like a big deal uh, in a couple of years anyway. It is, it's razor thin. So you've got um all NBA first team, it's, you know, Embiid, Giannis, Tatum, Luca, SGA. The tricky part is going to be whether or not Jalen is a guard or a forward. It makes no sense to me that he would be stuck as a guard when he's played more minutes as a forward this season. Because if he's a guard, I just don't think he gets ahead of Luca, SGA, Mitchell. The game's played stuff for guards is terrible. Like, Steph can only get to 56. Jar can only get to 64. Dame can kind of get up there. But like Booker's got 44. Kyrie's got 53. Trey's not going to make it. Harden can get up there and then Garland. So Jalen again will be fringing the guards. But forwards, it's like, here we go. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six guys for four spots who are all like pretty close. Mm-hmm. It's Jalen, Jimmy Butler, Larry Markinen, DeMar DeRozan, 
Julius Randle, and Pascal Siakam. Those are the six guys. See, I, I say put out Pascal and DeMar DeRozan immediately. Like it should be easy. Yes. They don't hold a candle to Jalen Brown. No, you cannot. The only the only tricky part I think there is like how much do you weigh, like how much are you penalizing Jalen for being the number two versus DeMar and Siakam being the number one? And this is where these things are so subjective. I I, I I agree. Like, are you going to reward Siakam and like DeMar DeRozan for being the 10th seed? Worst numbers, like overall? Like if, if you switch DeMar and Jalen, does Jalen have the have better numbers than DeMar? Probably much higher numbers um, this season. I think from – I'm not a huge advanced stats guy, but like I put like the raw points, rebounds, assists, and then like true shooting, expected plus minus Raptor. Box plus minus VORP win shares. I put it all in the thing. Jalen does not grade out super well on the advanced stats relative to mm-hmm. some of the other guys. From what I can tell, I think Jimmy and Larry Markinen are gonna be locks there. And then I think I think it's Jalen and, and Julius Randle. But like if you're comparing Jalen and Julian Randle, Julius Randle is the second best player on the fifth seed. The numbers are very similar. Jalen's the number two guy on the team with the second best record in the NBA. I think I think he's gonna if it ended today, he would sneak in. But like you just don't know how it's gonna get how it's gonna go. Yeah, and then you keeping it subjective, how much of a factor is narrative? It's it's mm-hmm. clearly a factor with the MVP conversation. So why would it not be a factor where voting among the media is involved for the all NBA teams. And, you know, keeping with the narrative, the Celtics have, uh, I want to say quote unquote slumped, but they have slumped recently. And almost all of their success, at least offensively outside of today's game, yesterday's game, by the time you're listening to this has been courtesy of Jalen Brown. And that has to be huge in bolstering, you know, narratively speaking, his case for all NBA. So I certainly hope, I think everyone after reading all the news today, is hopeful that he can make All-NBA because giving the Celtics any leverage in terms of extending him and keeping him around, and in this case, it would be monetary leverage and being able to offer him more money. If he makes All-NBA, that's that's huge for being able to keep the Jays together. And we kind of make Jalen's decision easy as far as what his future looks like, at least in his immediate subsequent seasons in the NBA. Before we wrap it up, I, Jake, I can see you got another take barreled I, up there. What do, what do you got? <laughs> I'm not sure I should tell you this because this is, I feel like this is a Ben thought almost in that <laughs> I have this worry, this, I'm not sure if it's a real worry or a story I've made up in my mind, but like this anti-Boston sentiment, people want to see us fail around the NBA on, you know, NBA media. Like would people vote not to give Jalen all NBA because that means it's more likely for Jalen to not stay with the Celtics. Mm. Probably reading too deep into it, but like it does. <sighs> it's just like I was hoping for a good I, sleep tonight, Jake. Oh, I, I, can, I can I can help you. I can help <laughs> you get back to sleeping well. Zach Lowe last season said I do tend to lean towards voting for guys that have uh, a monetary incentive. So like a lot of these guys, like you know, Randall's already he's not up for an extension. Markin is not up for an extension. DeRozan's not up for an extension. Like Jalen Brown stands to benefit more than the guys he's up next to. And if Zach Lowe says this one line, I might just lean Jalen Brown because it's that close because he can make a lot more money and I don't feel comfortable not voting for him and costing him $100 million. If he says that, we're in. We're good. Throw a parade for Zach Lowe. Well, and also... Jason Tatum was so vocal about like him missing out on millions of dollars because he didn't make all NBA when he was up for an extension as well. So does that favor Jalen Brown in like, you know, essentially the makeup call from the from the media voting perspective as far as getting him eligible for that Supermax extension? You know, certainly with the projected cap increase, like you said, Jake, like just give him the money. Like keep him around because like even if you no, right get now. a sense that he's going to leave and you try and trade him for pieces, like you're not going to get anyone as good as Jalen Brown. And plus, we just want to see these guys win together. We I want to genuinely love these, these people. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Come on. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. How do we always do an hour, no matter you, how many people we have on, no matter what the sample size of games we're talking about? We always make it to a crisp hour. There we go as we tick over the one hour mark. We love that the Celtics. Is, we do. We just love them so much. It's the passion. It's the passion that yeah. keeps us talking about them for at least an hour every time we catch up. That is, however, we're going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. At this stage, we might be firing up our playback room for the Spurs game on Sunday night and then definitely for the Bucks game on the 30th of March. So sign up to our play, playback room if you haven't already. The link is in the description. There's always uh, so much fun to be had in those playback rooms. Please um, you know, come along if you haven't already. We're really having a good time in those rooms. We'll be back with another pod early next week. Jake, love your work, mate. Until next time, go Celtics. Go Celtics.